So 1 Samuel chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. I told you two weeks ago that as soon as the message was over, Amanda and I were getting on a plane headed to Hawaii, and it was good. It was a good time. We had a good time. I don't want to brag about it because I don't want you to feel bad, and I'm a compassionate person. You, you probably haven't spent the last week in a tropical paradise, but I did, and so I'm being considerate. It's a great time, but I'm an investigative person. I like to know things that no one else really wants to know. When I'm watching a movie, I also have the Wikipedia page of that movie pulled up so that when they say something that I understand, I have it right there in writing. If they reference something that I don't know, usually there's a little blue link and I click through it to learn. When they mention a location that I'm not familiar with, if they mention an event in history that I'm not totally confident about, I search. And so I will find these little deep dines. I spend most of my time on Wikipedia, lost in the middle of the internet. I just love to know things. So when we decided that we were gonna go to Hawaii, I wanted to know everything that there was to know about Hawaii. And so I researched history. I know uh, in general when people landed on Hawaii. I know their uh, GDP. Um, Not really, but that would be awesome if I did. Um, I'm just learning, learning, learning. I studied the maps of Hawaii so that I wouldn't need Siri to tell me how to get around. One of the things that I stumbled upon was the the science behind waves. We were going surfing, so naturally I wanted to learn all that I could about surfing. And so I started learning about waves. Waves don't seem that interesting. They seem pretty, but not that interesting. But there's a real science behind it. Did you know, in fact, that a wave, before you and I ever really notice it, before it crests and lands on a shore, has probably been traveling for thousands of miles. Somewhere in some other part of the world, something happened, some kind of weather event happened that caused that wave. And that energy has been rolling, 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 rolling over a great distance for a long period of time before you and I finally recognize it. That reminds me of parenting. Parents working hard, hard, hard. Parental events, discipline, stress, provision, worry, frustration, parenting event, hoping that over enough time, eventually that child's life will crest into being a productive person, will crest into not embarrassing us, crest into whatever you and I are hoping for. But you gotta wait a long, long distance, lots of energy. The fruit comes a long time from now. So I wanna talk about parenting today on Mother's Day. Now, before we start, it's a question that we ask pretty consistently. Who is this message for? Because not all of us are parents. First, this message is for you if you're single. It was about my late 20s when I really began to look at my father and say, you know what, if I turned out like him, that would be a pretty good thing. And I was already a dad by that point. My dad has always been a great man. He's always been worthy of following in his steps. But it wasn't until my late 20s that I thought, you know what, I really do want to be like him. And I'm a pastor, and I'm a spiritual leader, and even I was saying that. And it's a sad fact of being a parent that probably it will be your children in their late 20s before they are saying, I want to be like my mom, I want to be like my dad. But I thank God that there were single men in my life when I was in college, when I was in high school, that I could look to and say, you know, I'm not not yet ready to say out loud that I want to be like my dad, but I sure want to be like that guy. I want a job like that guy. I want to live like that guy. I want to 
organize my life like that guy. And so if you are a single adult, maybe you're an aunt, maybe you're an uncle, maybe you're just an FOF, friend of the family, I want you to know that you have an essential role in the raising of children. Because the chances are, ladies, that young woman is gonna look to you and say, I wanna be like her before she'll say, I wanna be like my mom. Or men, somebody's gonna look to you and say, I wanna be like him before they're able to articulate, I wanna be like my dad. So uh, singles, whether you plan on being married or not, this message is important because you play an important role. Obviously, it's a message for married couples who don't have children yet but desire it. It's a message for parents, clearly, and even grandparents, I think, will pick up some things that are helpful. I brought pictures of my kids just to prove that I'm a dad. Uh, These are my three kids. Jackson is 11. Annabeth in the middle is eight, and that's baby Willa. She's one. Uh, There's a big difference, a big gap between an eight-year-old and a one-year-old, by the way, uh, just in case any of you are interested. And they're great. You know, Jackson's had some real academic success this year, some goals that he set, he's accomplished. Annabeth is a human cartwheel. If cartwheel became a person, that would be Annabeth. And it's been a big couple of months for us um, because a few months ago she articulated with as much faith as she has that she wanted to be a follower of Jesus. This wasn't just gonna be my dad's thing or my mom's thing. This was gonna be my thing. And she was baptized. And then baby Willie, you know, she's in the middle of development and she just learned to really say no strong, you know, like she just answers every question like that, no. And she does it with a smile on her face, but you can, you can see the, the vengeance in her eyes, you know. It, so it's, it's been a great last year with them, but it's parenting, you know, it's, it's raising kids. So there's a, for every success, there's a week of frustration, you know, for every Instagram post, there's a restaurant that we had to leave early, you know. Um, There's health scares along the way and moments where we could tell that one of their hearts and our hearts were not connected and we needed to figure out how to bridge that gap again because parenting is everything. It itself is like a wave. There are ups and there are downs. There's the peaks and there's the valleys. And we have a higher calling today. See, we don't want to be parents or friends who are just trying to be good. Just try, trying to be good parents, raising good kids. We have a better calling than that. The goal in your listening guide, if you're following along, the goal of Jesus following parents is to parent in a way that positions our children to know and be used by the Lord. To parent in a way that positions them because they are made in the image of God. And God, in His sovereignty, has decided to give them choice. So they will have to choose it for themselves. We can't force them to do that. But we can parent in a way that positions them for the highest calling of knowing and being used by the Lord. And we can learn this from Hannah, who was the mother of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Now, before we talk about Hannah, some of the skeptics among us might want to know, well, like, did she do a good job of raising Samuel? Because if she didn't do a good job of raising Samuel, then we don't really want to follow in her steps. Well, Samuel, you'll see if you're following along, he became a prophet for Israel. He spoke for God. Chapter 8, verse 10 says, so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people. He 
heard from God and he spoke to the people. It says in verse 12 of chapter 2, Now the sons of Eli, those were the current leaders of Israel, were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. But Samuel was different. I mean, can you imagine a spiritual leader that you're looking to for advice, for counsel, to blaze the trail to God? And that spiritual leader doesn't even know God, doesn't care to know God, is not familiar. Samuel was not like that. He was a prophet. He heard from God. He knew God. He was also a priest. 1 Samuel chapter 7, gather all of Israel at Mizpah, he said, and I will pray to the Lord for you. He was interceding for God's people. He was also a king, 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 15. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. They didn't have a line of royalty yet, so they had these judges, and Samuel was the last of those judges, and he was the best of them. So we can learn from Hannah, and her parenting story starts with disappointment. says in chapter 1, verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramoth Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penaniah. And Penaniah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And a rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. And as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? And after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord, And she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. That's really a summary of Hannah's disappointment. Verse 10, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Now her story starts with disappointment and her disappointment started right after her marriage to Elkanah because she realized that she was not able to have children. Now that is a deep wound for any of us today, any couple among our family today who is wishing that they were pregnant and is not yet able to get pregnant. That is a deep and very, very intense wound. It was compounded in Hannah's culture because it was expected of her from society. It wasn't just her own internal burden to parent that was being disappointed. She was also disappointing the rest of their culture. Add on top of that disappointment that Elkanah, was more committed to his family tree having branches added than he actually was to Hannah. We know that Hannah was his first wife because it lists her first. But when he realized that she was not able to have children, he did what many other men in his culture was doing, were, was doing, were doing and he went and just had another wife. So you have disappointment of not being able to have children. You have the added disappointment of your husband saying, I love my future family line more than I love you. I'm loyal to it more than I'm loyal to you. I'm going to go and find another woman. 
And then add another layer of on top of that, that the other woman used to provoke her. In fact, look at what the scripture says in verse six. That Penaniah would irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And then on top of that, there was the reminders. It says year by year this was happening. And year by year, Penaniah would irritate and agitate and provoke and rub it in. It's a disappointment in raising children, whether it's infertility or it's just some other expectation that was not being met. With parenting, it's always personal and it's always deep um, and it's usually painful. And then we look out in our pain and disappointment at somebody else who is having success and we create a rivalry with them. I mean, that's what happens on Instagram and Facebook. You're scrolling through and everything is good, 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 good. And then you see someone who's having victory where you've experienced loss. And there's tension there between you and that person. Now, they don't know that there's tension, but there is. There's a sting in your heart. There's a frustration there. If you maybe have high athletic expectations for your kids, but uh, maybe they have uh, mediocre talent and you haven't come to grips with it yet. And you're scrolling through and you see a friend who in normal circumstances you love and support. But you see their kid being handed the MVP trophy. You hate that family all of a sudden. I mean, just for like a second. But it burns within you. Because what's happened is they've had success where you've had disappointment. Even... um, Uh, Some of us today will be scrolling through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and we'll see people celebrating their moms. And you'll think, I can't celebrate my mom that way because maybe she's already passed or maybe there's uh, not the relationship there that you would like. And there'll be a moment of rivalry. There'll be a moment of contempt. There'll be a moment where you're irritated with this person, even though they, unlike Penaniah, are not trying to provoke you. Because that disappointment is personal, it's deep, it's painful. And then life is always reminding us of that. Year by year, it says, Hannah had to go up. And year by year, Elkanah would offer a sacrifice on behalf of his family. And then he'd get the meat in return, which was the custom. And then he would divvy it out among all of his family. And Penaniah would get her share. And her children would get their share. But then he would turn to Hannah. And, and he would give her her share. But then he would give her a little bit extra. Because he loved her. Because he cared about her. Because he knew this was a wound for her. And he would give her a little bit extra. He meant it for good. But for those of us who have experienced disappointment, even what somebody means for good can end up being a reminder of the bad that's happened to us. And that's the way it was for Hannah. Just always being reminded. And then Elkanah does what husbands do, which is just to speak without actually thinking about things. And he says to her, am I not more to you than 10 sons? Right? Clearly the answer was no, you are not. Right? <laughs> That's what a husband will do when he sees his wife sad. Here's some gum. Why won't this gum fix you? Uh, Let me flex my muscle for you and remind you how lucky you are to be married to me. And it wasn't enough. Her story starts with disappointment. But then there's a vow. You see in your listening guide, a vow. Verse 11. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord, said, oh Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, 
but will give to your servant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Now she's reaching back into the Old Testament law. She's pulling out a Nazarite vow. It doesn't mean that much to us, but that was something specific. She wasn't just saying in general, God, I'm going to commit my son to you, but I'm going to, I'm going to commit him as a Nazarite, meaning there's, he's, he's not going to cut his hair and he's going to live in these certain ways that the Old Testament law had prescribed. It's a real serious vow that she's making, very specific as well. Some of us may be thinking, well, hey, I have some things that I want from God too. They're big. And you know, maybe they're even as big as Hannah's. I mean, she wanted a son, but I want to be married or, or I want a son or I want even you know, a daughter or, or uh, I need a new job or I need some money, or, but, but I need some real things. Could I make a vow to God and, and would his heart be moved and I get what I want because I can make some promises now? Right? Could I vow a vow? Would that actually work for me? I think if you sat down today and started reading the Bible cover to cover, Start in Genesis, in the last page in Revelation, it would actually take you 71 hours. Somebody's actually clocked this, 71 hours to finish the scripture. And when you got to the end, after those 71 hours, and asked yourself, do vows to the Lord work? Moving the heart of God to get what I want, you would say, maybe, sometimes, no. You wouldn't be sure because it's not always clear for two reasons. One, Hannah's vow worked because it aligned with God's sovereign work in the people of Israel and his sovereign timing. We all love the verse, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That's what we like. We like saying, God, I believe that you're a work in my life. You're giving me a future. You're giving me a hope. We always think about that in a real personal way. But if that verse... It's personal for you, and it should be. It's also personal for the person next to you, and the person next to them, and the person next to them, and on down your row, and all of us together, and actually everybody who's not in this room right now in Houston. God has that same plan and same desire for them. So one of the most intriguing and interesting and powerful things about God is not that he works in our individual lives. It's that he's able to take his work in our individual lives and partner it in timing with his work in somebody else so that his work in me becomes his work in you and his work in you becomes his work in me and we're all connected in that way. So God is not just at work in Hannah's life and her desire to have a son. He's also at work in his entire nation, the people of Israel. Because you remember Moses led these people out of slavery in Egypt and after that came Joshua who led them into the promised land and after Joshua there were Uh, Judges. In fact, one of the books of the Bible is named Judges. And this is how the book of Judges ends because some of the judges were good and some of them were bad. It says, so everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's how the book of Judges ends. Everyone is doing right in their own eyes. Meaning if it feels good to me, I'm gonna do it. If it feels good to you, you do that. So you can imagine what kind of chaos, chaotic mess it was. And then they look to their leadership in this moment And they see Eli and his sons, and they were worthless leaders. We already read that they didn't even know the Lord. God is remedying that. He's at work in his people. And how is he working in his people? By working in Hannah. And part of his work in Hannah, verse 6, is that he closed her womb for a while. It wasn't time yet for Samuel to be born. Because Samuel was going to be born in what verse 20 says, in due time. So that he can replace these worthless sons of Eli who are leading God's people without even actually knowing God. 
So the vow worked not because of the strength of Hannah's promise, but because what she was committing is also what God wanted to happen and in the timing that it wanted to happen. As you would be reading the scripture from cover to cover, though, in those 71 hours and ask yourself, do vows work? The thing that you would be sure of is that you should not take a vow lightly, that our words just don't fall to the ground, that they're not meaningless, but actually carry a great deal of meaning. Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse five, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay your vow quickly. So she makes a vow. Next, in her story, there's a pregnancy. Verse 12. Now she continued praying before the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. She offers us a good example, very practical example for when we're disappointed. We don't turn to wine. We turn to the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, verse 16. For all along, I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Verse 19. And they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. And when they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. And in your listening guide, finally, the follow through of faith. In Hannah's story, there's the follow-through of faith. Verse 21. And the man Elkanah and all his family went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an epaph of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord, and as long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. She follows through. You know, many of us have enough faith to commit. The question is, do you have enough faith to be committed? It's one thing to say, yes, I will do this for God. It's another thing to actually do that thing for God. Hannah's sacrifice is great. It could have been easy to say, oh God, I promise, I promise, I promise, I promise, I promise. 
If you will just let me have a son, I'll dedicate him to you. I'll bring him to the temple. He won't live with me. He'll live in the temple. He'll serve you in the temple. He'll be your man. You can use him for whatever you want. Just let me have a baby. Just let me have a thrill, the joy of of having that baby. But then what happens when he was born? Was she tempted to come back and say, oh God, I promise. I'll, I'll, I'll double dedicate him to him. I'll do something else. I promise. Just let me have him until he's five. Let me see him off to kindergarten. When he gets to kindergarten, then, then I'll bring him to the temple. Then kindergarten would roll around. Oh God, I promise, I promise, I promise, I promise. It's one thing to have enough faith to look to God and say, God, if you will do this, then I will do this. It's another thing for God to do that and then you do this. You have to have enough faith, not just to commit, to be committed. Hannah did. And the follow through of faith, what we see in her, the follow through of faith is the best gift that you can give your children. It's a better gift than music lessons. It's a better gift than tutoring. It is a better gift than batting lessons. It is a better gift than a big home. It's a better gift than a safe car when they turn 16. For them to be able to see you following through on your faith. As parents, our Sunday confessions and our Monday confessions need to be the same. As aunts and uncles and friends of the family, our Sunday confessions and our Monday confessions, same. If I confess on Sunday that the Bible is the word of God, they need to see my Monday confession when I open it up and read it. If my Sunday confession is that prayer works, they need to see that my Monday confession is also that prayer works when I turn to him instead of turning to some other human, temporary, fleshly solution. My Sunday confession and my Monday confession. I think about that a lot as a pastor. You know, pastor's kids have terrible reputations. Like bad ones, like, like worse than like regular people, like bad ones. I consistently look at them as a, as I leave church and I think what I just preached, do they believe? And more do they believe? Do they believe that I believe it? Because we have to have a faith that scales down. See, everybody wants a faith that scales up. That when there's an ambulance involved, our faith scales up. Oh God, please rescue, save, help scales up. When it's a job change, should we move to this place? Should we take this job? It's a big change. Our faith scales up. God, would you speak to me? Would you lead me for this big, huge decision that we're making? When there's a complication in pregnancy, our faith scales up. God, help me, help me, help me, help me. But what our children need to see is a faith scaled down. Instead of God, what should you do What should we do in this job change? They need to see us praying. There is no job change, but help me to perform on my job today. Help me to work hard today. Help me to be a light for Christ today. There's no big thing going on at work, but do they see my face scaling down? Do they see my face scaling down when it's just a health question mark and not a health emergency? Or do they see me rushing to worry and fear and anxiety? They say, no, mom and dad, aunt and uncle and grandparent, when they were afraid, they ran to the Lord in faith and not to WebMD. 
where faith goes to die a very fearful death. It says your faith scale down into the little stuff, into the non-essential and significant? Or does it only scale up Hannah's faith scaled in whatever direction she needed it to scale because of what we see in her prayer in chapter two. We won't read all of it just for time's sake today, but I summarized it here. In her prayer, she says, the Lord is holy. There is none holy like the Lord, she says. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. She said, Lord, you're a God of knowledge. You know. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth for the Lord is a God of knowledge you think about the faith that it would take to say that as she's struggling with the infertility to say God you know God you know I don't know but God you know she says the Lord is sovereign over life the Lord is sovereign over poverty and wealth the Lord lifts up the poor in spirit the Lord establishes the earth the Lord guards and strengthens the faithful the Lord judges and crushes his adversaries see it's a terrifying thing to release children into this world because the stakes are high. They really are high. Jackson, our 11 year old, he has wanted to be an astronaut from the beginning. He never wavered. He was never tempted by a fireman. He's definitely not tempted by being a pastor. Uh, Astronaut is where his heart has been set since day one. And yeah, first it's just lighthearted. You're not putting anything in it. But as he has gotten older, he has gotten more and more serious about being an astronaut. And so at the beginning of this school year, we sat down with them and said, okay, bud, you really want to be an astronaut? I really want to be an astronaut. Well, let's talk about it. Let's start at the end and work our way backwards. So you're an astronaut, you're in space. You got there two ways. Either you were a pilot on the shuttle or you were an engineer. So which do you want to be? Would you like to be a pilot? If so, you need to go and serve in the armed forces and that would be a great option. Or you can be an engineer. He said, I'd like to be an engineer, I think. And that fits with who we think he is. He's real, he likes math and science. He's kind of a weirdo like that. And um, so he says he wants to be an engineer. And we say, okay, you want to be an engineer? Well, you need to go to these types of schools that train engineers. One's just right up the road, your mother's alma mater, where they whoop and sing chants and all of those things up in College Station. And he says, that's where I want to go. And I say, okay, that's great. That's a high, high thing. Now, if you would like to go to school there or a school like that, you need to be more like your mom and less like your dad. You got to be smart. You got to make good grades. So now we're in high school. You got to make not just good grades. You got to make some of the best grades to make sure that you get in there, which means you're going to take honors classes and not just regular classes. You want to do that? Yeah, I want to do that. Okay, well, then we got to take a step to middle school because to get in those honors classes in high school, you got to take these honor classes in middle school. You, you want to do that? Yeah, I want to do that. Okay, buddy, well, here we are at the beginning of fifth grade. And to qualify for those honor classes in middle school, you're gonna have to make great grades this year. He says, I'm, I'm gonna do it. And by God's grace, he did. He was committed. I became fearful a little bit because I didn't realize the stakes were that high in fifth grade. I thought we should still be climbing trees outside and chasing bunnies and throwing rocks at squirrels, like good things that boys do. But the stakes are high. 
And they're not just high when the big things come along. They're high every day. And parents know that. And friends of the family know that. And aunts and uncles know that. And grandparents know that. But to trust God with your children in this high stakes environment, you have to first trust God. You can't just skip to trusting God with your children. You personally have to trust God. You have to have your own prayer of God's sovereignty and his power and his knowledge and what he's able to do and how he guards the faithful. Hannah released Samuel to the Lord. She followed through with her faith, not because she was secure about Samuel's future, but because she was secure in the Lord. You and I, we can't guarantee the future of our children. We can't. But we can guarantee the character of God. So we want to parent in a way that positions them for the highest callings, the most important things, which is what happens in verse 28 of chapter one. And it says, and he worshiped the Lord there. It was Elkanah worshiping the Lord. And then it was Hannah worshiping the Lord. But here it's Samuel and he worshiped the Lord there. So we took surfing lessons and we're out there on our surfboards with the instructor and kind of waiting for the better waves to come in. And, you know, I'm, all, I'm preloaded with all this Wikipedia knowledge, so I need an opportunity to trot all that out. I didn't get a chance, so that's why we're talking about it today, I guess. And so I say, are these good waves, bad waves, medium waves? Like, how do they stack up? And he says, actually, these are, these are pretty good waves that we're experiencing today. And I knew some things, so I said, where did they come from? He was not impressed that I knew that. I was impressed with myself. I said, where did they come from? And he said, there was a storm off the coast of New Zealand. Pretty violent storm. And that's why the waves are so good today. So I went back to the internet because I wanted to know how far it was from the cove that we were in to the coast of New Zealand. It is 4,606 miles. Those waves traveled all that distance. You're gonna make some decisions today as parents, role models, grandparents, and you're gonna do it in Jesus' name. You're gonna do it because you love those kids that you're responsible for. But you might not see the crest, the fruition for a long, long time. And you and I, we can't guarantee what shore they're gonna crest upon. We don't know with what strength they will hit the shore. But what you and I can do is to parent in a way that positions them so that they can know God and they can be used by him. There is not a higher calling for parents than that. Let's pray. Why don't you take a second, the spirit of prayer right there where you are and just ask God directly, God, is there anything specifically that you're speaking to me? Jesus' name, amen.